Welcome to episode 60 of Off the Shelf. My name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Off the Shelf. Almost two years ago, I recorded an interview with Jay Cox, a young man who was born into a family that followed William Branham, and he still follows William Branham's message today. This is the conclusion of my interview with Jay, and I must applaud him for his courage. We left last week's podcast with a couple of important questions for Jay, and we will continue where we left off. Why should I follow William Branham? The question, the other question is, what is the status of people who don't believe in William Branham as a prophet? Uh, well, I think, let's see, let's start with the, you said, you, what is the status of people who don't? And then the, fir the first one you asked is, why should you believe William Branham? So why, why should okay. I follow William Branham? Um, what benefit do I get if I follow him? Um, I would say nothing really more than interpretation. Um, I, and I know the reason I stress that is just because I do know that there are a lot of people, you know, specifically uh, Voice of God, right? I'd, that, is not some, that is not a group I would ever endorse because I don't understand how one who claims non-denominationalism could possibly denominationalize. It's oxymoronic to me. Um, and that is precisely what they've done, right? I know a lot of people are out there saying that, oh, if you don't end up following William Branham, you lose eternal salvation, which of course the flip side of that is following William Branham leads you to gain salvation. I don't buy that at all. I think the only thing that you would get from following William Branham is um, scriptural interpretation um, and predictive prophecy, of course. That would, those would be, and I don't see anywhere else unless it's a specifically listed prophet like Moses, right, who is considered to be um, the prophet as far as the Jews are concerned, um, right? If it, unless it's somebody who is specifically listed like that, I don't see any reason why we should look at William Branham a prophet any different than we would look at any other prophet, which is that he has scriptural interpretations and predictive prophecy. Uh, that would be quite literally it. And I think there are some good examples of that. As an example, you know, holiness living. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of chuckle here, but it's not funny. We've gotten to a point now where the church is kind of just completely disregarded holiness living. I actually wonder how they read the book of James, um, ever, really, because James makes quite clear that faith without works is dead. And um, let's just be perfectly frank, right? A lot of people, so just as an example, we have um, the female morality, right? A lot of people will say, well, how can you bring up all these Old Testament rules? Female morality is not mentioned in the Old Testament as far as clothing is concerned. It's mentioned in the New Testament twice. Uh, Peter and Timothy. Um, I can't remember the exact verses. I think it's 2 Peter 3.15, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be thinking of something else. Um, but the point is, is it says, you know, likewise, that have the women dress modestly and not in costly apparel, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? That is New Testament. But it doesn't say they have to wear, they can't wear pants. Well, I mean, there, I think there's a few things that we need to kind of note there. The first thing, and whilst this may not have actually been a problem, I guess I'd have to look at the, the fashion of uh, pants in the 60s and 50s, because I'm not familiar with it. I'm more familiar with the fashion of other um, articles of clothing, not really pants. I fashion changes. Considered. Yeah. Fashion changes. And so, you know, what I used to, when I was growing up, I would wear bell-bottom pants, and I wouldn't be seen, you know, there's no way I'd put on a pair of those things now. The, the, the thing is, I mean, I, I don't dispute what Scripture says, and I think you need to look at, I might try to post a, uh, a sermon by uh, 
a talk by Dallas, I think it's Dallas Willard, uh, on postmodern uh, holiness, because he actually talks about modern holiness, which is the holiness of William Branham and the holiness of the early holiness movement, which is Pharisaic holiness, which is, uh, you know, Paul speaks again, taste not, handle not, touch not. It's all about what you physically do. And, um, and so it's all outward holiness, which, and so if you look a certain way, if you dress a certain way, then you are holy. But uh, Dallas Willard's argument is that is not what holiness is about at all. Holiness is a way of thinking. Holiness is being separate and apart from the world. So uh, are we different from the world? Absolutely, absolutely. But the, the, the holiness of William Branham is don't wear pants. Like, give me a break. I have seen women in message churches who were, uh, you know, okay by message standards, who were not dressing immodestly, uh, who were not dressing modestly, rather. They were dressing immodestly. So you can, you know, pass the message uh, uh, in air quotes test uh, and not be modest. And you can wear pants and be modest. There is no, modesty doesn't relate to the type of clothing. It relates to uh, uh, other things. And I agree with modesty. I have no concern with modesty. Uh, but I also think that um, when you say what's in modern churches, I think the same could be said with, for, for message churches. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that at all, though. I think one thing that we need to kind of remember is that, um, you know, this is we do live in the 21st century West and in the 21st century West, there tends to be two types of religious people. There tends to be the types who don't question anything and just follow it blindly straight down the road. And we can't trust those people. And then there's the people who don't really care. Right. The nominals. And that's just kind of and it doesn't you know, that goes to the message to the Baptist, to the Muslims. It, it really doesn't matter. Um, as long as you are in the West, it's kind of almost a 50 50 shot that you're one of those two. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to everyone. So I'm not trying to claim that there are pe not people out there. I mean, most people, most Christians are f are functional atheists. Exactly. Exactly. So, it, so they don't they don't they don't live their life as though God existed. So so I don't say so, and and so for people to throw rocks at denominations, I can throw the same rocks at the message churches. I mean, if I look at most message churches, the people are lukewarm. They are lukewarm. Um, now, there are some people who I've met, uh, amazing people, who are on fire for God. You want to read a book by a guy who actually might be a prophet, not in the prophetic, but in, in having a message that nobody likes. I would, I would uh, uh, recommend a book uh, by a guy that I met in December uh, by the name of Nick Ripkin. Nick wrote a book called The Insanity of God. You want to read a good book? They actually made a documentary about it. Read Nick Ripkin's book. The insanity of God. Nick is a wonderful Christian. There are Christians that I know who are wonderful Christians who are on fire for God and are doing way more, way more, exponentially more than anyone I know in the message. In fact, my daughter, who we just finished an interview with her, said after she went and attended a camp working with inner city kids, she said, I'm glad that there are Christians that are outside the message because if there weren't, these kids, nobody would ever reach out to these kids because the message is not, people in the message are not focused on reaching 
to the people, the reaching the people that were lost, and of making disciples of all nations. That is not what message people are about. Well, see, I think I think there are a few things we have to point out there, and I think the first off, I do kind of want to slightly go a little farther back to the um, clothing aspect, and for a very particular reason. Um, so you you say that the you know the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't wear pants as a female, right? It doesn't list that exact terminology. Perfectly accurate. No, However, not in the New Testament. Ask, right, not in the New Testament. It does say in the Old Testament you shouldn't wear a man's clothes, but I think we've pretty firmly established at this point that skinny jeans are not the same thing as male jeans, right? Um, they are clearly a specific feminine form of jean, and so that doesn't really apply to them. Um, oh, I've seen guys however, wear skinny jeans. <laughs> right. <laughs> there right. are guys that wear skinny jeans. There are, so like, like there's immodest clothes, there are immodest pants, and there are modest pants. There right. are immodest dresses, out, and there are modest dresses. Like, nobody's right, disputing that. that though, but you kind of need to remember, we are at a point in time now and this is a very interesting point in time. It's not something, at least in English-speaking history, that has happened before. Um, obviously, in other cultures, it has happened before. But in English-speaking history, it's not something that has happened before. Um, women who wear low-cut who wear low-cut shirts and skinny jeans are considered to be modest in the in this modern day and age. Um, and that is kind of baffling if you think about it. How skin-tight clothing and shirts that clearly portray cleavage can be considered modest. And the reason is, and you can actually go to my Facebook page here, you'll find documented proof of this, is because we have just completely disregarded the notion that clothes possibly represent some form of modesty. Right? We Man, have- no, the flappers, you know what a flapper was in the 20s? They wore short skirts. Flappers, like, th- this is, the 20s, again, right before the Great Depression, there was a lot of prosperity and things and, and women we're starting to move in very immodest ways, starting to dress in very immodest ways. And that's that's just history. So, so when you yes, say it never happened in English speaking history, no, I don't agree with that. Go look back at the, at the flappers. Look at what the flappers look, though, look like though. Look at a flapper and actually, like I said, go to the, the American Civic Party uh, page if you'd like. You'll find there, there's a picture of a, um, there's actually three pictures. Well, technically there's eight, but um, five of the pictures are just all variations of the same thing. Um, so first off, I have a picture of a pair but, of- But that's, that's again, we're kind of getting a little far afield. So when you say scripture requires, uh, you know, scripture talks in two places about modesty, I agree with that, but that's not message, that's just the Bible. So like, how, what benefit do I get from the message? Well, I think the benefit that you would get from the message in that particular regard is that most, almost every single church out there, by the way, even including those who have become denominationally message, I would agree with you on that, has just completely disregarded that as if it's not a true aspect of what a godly woman is supposed to act like. In fact, many people even go as far as to say um, that dressing modestly is somehow occultic or something like that, which is just, I mean, it's just laughable. Well, that not, 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 I've never heard that in any church I've ever gone to. And I think there are some, there are some wonderful churches around and you just need to get out more, I would say. Uh, and when you make, uh, you can make uh, vast assertions about the general public, which may be true, but, but I'm not sure that that's true about Christians who are on fire for God. Well, and again, I don't think that there are... Those are the people I've run into the, uh, outside of the message. And they put people in the message absolutely to shame. Again, why do I need to follow the message? Well, for the record, though, I think that there's, you sh- could say that for just about any denomination, including the message. Obviously, 
I would counter that by saying, well, I know plenty of people who are on fire for God who are in the message, right? I'd oh, right. Well, start naming them because I've never, I was in the message for a lot of years and I've never, I've, I never ran across. No, they would scream and yell a lot. But actually, what do they do? What do they do that would set them apart? Uh, you know, what are they doing on a, on a, on a, on a national global? I, I, I meet people all the time who are changing the world for the gospel in a very, very positive way. And that I never, I never ran into in the message. I know a guy, I know a guy, so I know a guy who went to the country of Benin. He's a friend of mine. He went to the country of Benin 14 years ago, 15 years ago now, and said, you know, I want to help these people because I want to exhibit God to them in word and in deed. And so he went and started drilling water wells. And when he drilled a water well, he would show the Jesus film and he would plant a church. Do you know what this guy has done? One guy in Canada has done in the country of Benin. There are four, over 45,000 people that have come to Christ. And he said, I'm not going to count anybody unless I have their name. So he has 45,000 people. He's planted 375 churches. 10% of the country of Benin are now drinking waters from wells that he's put in. Like, this is... I never say that well, in the message. That's definitely a very positive thing, but I would have you go, like, there's just a few examples. I would have you go to the Worldwide Missionary Outreach Church, um, which is literally dedicated its entire existence to being on missionary work constantly to the Philippines, uh, to Africa, to China, all these other different places. Some of these places, of course, are places that you could manage, like the Philippines, right? There's so many Muslims in the Philippines, radical Muslims in particular, that it is very likely you're going to get yourself killed. And that's not even including the malaria or anything like that. And Worldwide Missionary Outreach has probably three to four people on mission at a time at any given time. Um, you have Brother Jewel Forty, who is an evangelist, go around. So this, the a, this is a message country. church. This is a message church. Yes. So they have exactly how right. many people? I. I wouldn't actually know what the, I think if because I've been there before. Um, the one here in Idaho, I would assume, is probably somewhere between, I don't know, 100 to 250, I guess. Let me, let me tell you, I, I'm associated with an organization that has 17,000 missionaries. Well, I mean, be that as it may, though, that doesn't negate whether or not. So, like, like, I, and so I'm not saying that these people aren't, so you've got some people, but, but anyways, why? So, what, again, my point is not that I'm better than you or you're better than me. Why do I need to follow William Branham? What benefit do I get from following William Branham? Now, I can show you, and we haven't got into it, I can show you a lot of places where he's just wrong on Scripture. So I don't know how you differentiate between the good stuff he said about Scripture and the stuff that's complete nonsense, like the fact that, that uh, Saul was elected by the people, was chosen by the people, which he wasn't. They said they wanted a king. That was the sin, that they didn't choose Paul. God did. It was clear from reading the scriptures that, that, that uh, God chose Saul to be the king. William Branham said they didn't, that, that, that the people chose Saul, but they didn't. So anyways, you know, there's, there's things. So, so again, I want to get back to the point is, so if I don't follow William Branham, what is the impact on me spiritually? Well, so let me... Let me um... I am a follower, and I just to be clear, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He leads me. He guides me. Well, and, and also let me be clear on that, too. I do not think that if you are outside of the brilliant brand of ministry and are a follower of Christ that you are not saved. I think that's heresy and ridiculous. Um, and I can give an example, actually, from the scriptures uh, of people who are saved 
who at the very least at first did not believe, i.e. Nicodemus and Thomas. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever go as far as the claim. And furthermore, I would even think such a claim is completely oxymoronic because you cannot possibly be against denominationalism and then denominationalize. That does not make any sense. Um, so that would not at all be my claim. However, and let me just ask very briefly, uh, what would you consider to be, and maybe you can list more than one, but the most conservative denominations in the country? So if I look at a conservative denomination, uh, that to me doesn't mean anything. But I, I, I've, I've done some work, but I can, I can only say what I've seen locally. But I could show you an Anglican church, uh, and I know a couple of Anglican priests who are better Christians than anyone I ever met in the message. And, and, and that just goes across the board. And they are doing amazing things for the kingdom. One of them, in fact, has... Uh, who I've met a couple of times, has presented the gospel now to, it's probably getting close to 25 million people. Just a very humble man who, uh, in the Anglican church, who believes in divine healing, believes in, in uh, the Holy Spirit working and active in people's lives, and spends his entire life uh, trying to make disciples of all nations. And well, so well, when I look at when I look at that, I say, why would why does he need to believe the message? Is it going to do him any good? No. In fact, it's probably going to mess him up a lot. Probably take him off mission. I, I honestly would say this is it's clear that he is following God's will for his life, and he is a Christian, and he's going to heaven. As far as I know, I mean, I look at a, a person like that, and I would say that person is demonstrating the fruits of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I know William Branham said we shouldn't look at the fruits of the Spirit, which I think is nonsense, because why are they in the Bible? Um, and he would say that the fruit of the Spirit, that the actual only evidence of the Holy Spirit is following William Branham, which is nonsense, um, because following the word of your hour. I don't believe in the word of your hour. I believe in the gospel. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and that is what we have today. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am led by the Holy Spirit. That is the important thing. Not following a man, William Branham, who just messes me up theologically because he points, he takes things out of the Old Testament and brings them into the New. And I'm going like, hold it. Paul and Galatians said we're not supposed to do that. If you think, if you, if you think obeying any part of the law makes God happier with you, you just alienated yourself from Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Galatians says. Well, and that is true, but do bear in mind, there is also a counter to that. James says faith without works is dead. So you what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Well, he I think it's painfully obvious. He means that you live holiness not out of because you yourself are trying to be righteous, right? That's not the point. The point is you live that way because Jesus is living in your life. You want to please your Lord, right? Absolutely. But, is... uh, but the, the guys I've talked about are people that are that way. They, they would say, yeah, I live my life. Uh, we need to be humble. And humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, according to C.S. Lewis. It, you know, James talks about favoritism. Uh, you know, and, and I, I believe it. In fact, I just went through the book of James. I would agree with you. Faith without works is dead. But those works are 
things like suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. We give them. In fact, what I saw in the message is if we had somebody poor, uh, boy, did they have to jump through a lot of hoops before we'd help them. And we would because you, you wouldn't want to give them too much money and actually, you know, spend money on them. Uh, we, what I saw in the message was not uh, a proper working out of the book of James. And so I would say what I see in the book of James, uh, what we're supposed to do is demonstrated much more clearly outside of people that follow William Branham than people who do. Well, and of course, you can only speak to your experience and I can only speak to mine. I have personally not seen anything like that in the message. Of course, I am a little bit skewed on that in the sense of that um, I have, and my father has been very particular about making sure he goes to churches that are um, that are following uh, the word and, of course, obviously following the message because he is a message believer. Um, I never said with that. With that being uh, said, though, I, never said I do that. think that there is a lot more than just being a kind person. I mean, you know, we, as the perfect example, we know that, well, and I, I realize that you never said that, but surely you understand that when I say that, you know, which denomination is considered the most conservative and you say, well, I know an Anglican. It's like, well, that that might be true. That could be perfectly true. And that Anglican, we could all meet him in paradise. So, no, but I, I say I, I, could sh I could show you Mennonite Brethren people who are, we went to a Mennonite Brethren church for a while. Wonderful, wonderful people who are, um, I would say, batting over their weight class in the mission field. You can go to the country of Laos uh, in Asia and find 45,000 Mennonite brethren. None of them are, uh, none of them are, uh, are from a German or Dutch background. Uh, they're all Laotian people. And so uh, that church has said, we want to um, exhibit uh, what Christ said about fulfilling the Great Commission, and so we are going to go out into the whole world, and we are going to make disciples of all men, and that's what they're doing. And in fact, you know, the people I've talked to said, you know, that would go and visit these people would say they felt, they felt unbelievably humble in their presence because there wasn't one single pastor that hadn't spent time in jail. These are all Mennonite brethren people. And so, you know, I when you say what is the most conservative, it, that's a, kind of an irrelevant because conservative or like uh, uh, people that are liberal, I think sometimes lose a focus on the word of God. But when I say, like, I don't believe in conservatism, because I think that is the message. And conservatism, um, uh, I've heard it defined as where you have the foundation of the Bible, but then layered on that is the inspired uh, teaching of an inspired man. I am more a believer in, in the Wesleyan quadrilateral when John Wesley said, look, our foundation is the word of God, uh, we are also supported by two important things, which is reason and experience. And then the least important of that of those four of, of the four things that he pointed to was tradition, the traditions of the church. Uh, um, things that we've we've established that have been, you know, as as Paul said in Timothy 2 2, you know, teach. Uh, a man, and then that those men teach other men, and so you you get a generational uh, uh, teaching that goes from one group to another, and that's what spiritual multiplication is, which I believe in. So, uh, so from my standpoint, it's not whether church is conservative or not. I don't really care about that. Does the church believe in God? Do they believe God's word? Are they led by the Spirit? Is their worship 
uh, do the people of the people in the church really focus their lives? And I, we've, we actually have on our, on our website, uh, we have, a, 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 we actually have said, if you're looking for church, what do you look for? And there's five different things. Those are things that pe people should look for and not for anything else. Uh, but, you know, as far as teaching, I would say I have personally, and I listened to William Branham a lot when I was in the message, the teaching of Tim, people like Tim Keller, um, Andy Stanley, and, and uh, um, uh, Francis Chan, and there's a lot of really good, and I don't say I follow any one of them. Uh, I look at their teaching, and it's benefited me a great deal. Um, you know, a local pastor here, uh, uh, the church they went to is a, a phenomenal teacher. I mean, these people believe the word of God and live their lives as though it was the most important thing on the face of the earth. And so are those people uh, uh, followers of Jesus Christ? Yes. Does somebody in the message have some kind of advantage over them? No. Uh, unless, and, and that's the purpose of my question. Is there any benefit that I get from following William Branham that I wouldn't get from just being a simple follower of Jesus Christ who reads the Bible and is led by the Holy Spirit? Well, and I do think there are a few things that are definitely worthy of note there. The first thing, and to get to the point of why I even asked the question in the first well, and I do think there are a few things that are definitely worthy of note there. The first thing, and to get to the point of why I even asked the question in the first place, um, I actually see very often, and I would hope you do too, I would hope anybody who is following the Bible would see this because it's becoming so prevalent as to become almost ridiculous. Um, I will use as an example the Southern Baptist Convention because I was actually covering it just last week. Um, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I guess I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But nonetheless, I was covering it, so I'm pretty familiar with everything that happened. Um, here you have a group that is very well known for adhering to the fundamentals of what is Christianity. Belief in Jesus, uh, faith alone, baptism, specifically believer's baptism, the primacy of the local church over a big body, right, etc., um, this is something that they've actually been very well known for. And actually, I think a lot of, though not, I wouldn't at all claim most, but a lot of the best American theologians have in fact been Baptist or Southern Baptist, um, in my own opinion. And yet now, a lot of our, actually, some of them are Presbyterians, like uh, a guy like, uh, uh, Tim Keller is Presbyterian. All right. Um, I guess I'm not particularly familiar with Tim Keller in, um, particular, but oh, I guess I didn't have to say in particular if I already said particularly. <laughs> Anyways, um, so here you have just last week here at the Southern Baptist Convention, you have discussion over whether or not people should start to uh, pay racial reparations, whether or not it is actually permissible to have um, female pastors and female presidents, whether or not it is permissible to start going back and saying, oh, we're sorry for absolutely everything that ever possibly happened in slavery back in the day, because somehow that's our fault as the Southern Baptist Convention and not, you know, a cultural thing of the of the racist Confederacy at the time. Um, and, you know, and it's like these are things that are there. It's getting to a point where the actual message of God is being diluted because of secular liberalism. And it's Really, in my opinion, as a result of it doesn't that doesn't mean the message is right. It just means people. You're you're pointing out that people maybe aren't following Jesus the way they should be. Hey, you know what? I'm prepared to well, right. uh, talk right. about that. But that's not the conversation we're having. Which is, why would I need to follow the message if I am if I am a true follower of Jesus Christ? So let me let me state that very clearly. 
I am not pointing to a denomination and saying, okay, that is my, uh, that is my point of reference for following Jesus Christ. It isn't. My point of reference is the New Testament. Well, and that might very well be true for you, but surely you understand how that is not true for the vast majority of people. In fact, the vast majority of people join a denomination precisely because they are under the impression that that denomination has everything correct and everybody else does not. I mean, that's that's the whole reason people choose denominations in the first place. I, I would, I know, I, I would think that is becoming less and less true, Jay. That is becoming less and less true. So, for example, the first time I went into a, uh, a Mennonite Brethren Church that we attended for many years, um, uh, we, we walked into that church and I was really astounded by the fact that they were praying for the Pentecostal church down the street. Um, and they continued every Sunday to pray for a different church in the community because they uh, were aware and recognizing the greater body of Jesus Christ. And so people didn't attend that church because they thought the Mennonite Brethren Church was the correct denomination. Well, at that point, why even bother calling yourself a Mennonite? Why not just call yourself a Christian? Yes, because they, it, it gives them a reporting structure. So here's the big problem with, with, with message churches. When they're sovereignly independent, and, and I don't, um, uh, one could argue church governance in the best way, but we had a, I was in a church where a pastor covered up the sexual abuse of a minor. And I left that church because he wasn't prepared to step down and nobody was prepared to hold him account. And in a, in a denominational group, there are ways where people are held to account. There is accountability standards. And the Mennonite Brethren uh, denomination is probably a uh, looser one than uh, than some other uh, denominations, and again, one could argue that, but I don't think that a model where there is no accountability uh, of a local pastor to anyone else is the right model. And I have seen all sorts of churches in the message go off the rails because the pastor has too much power, and he shouldn't have. There has to be accountability. And there isn't. And so for me, it's uh, 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 some go church governance structures are better than others in providing for a framework for accountability. That's all they do. Um, and that's one that the, uh, that the Mennonite Brethren Church does. And, you know, for example, I'm in this church and they would talk, they had a debate on Calvinism versus Arminianism. The point of the debate was not for one or the other party to win. The point of the debate was that both uh, views came from a highly, uh, from a, a high view of scripture. Some scriptures were emphasized over others, but both were valid views and were based on scripture. And the whole point of the debate was to say, we need to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I've never seen that as a point of debate before. So I, I actually have a debate, one of my favorite debates. I think I've watched it probably seven or eight times at this point because the, uh, the topic intrigues me a lot. Uh, but it was actually, it was Michael Brown versus James White. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of James White, yeah. Um, 
Well, so he and so uh, Michael Brown, the other one, he's a just brief overview. He's a messianic, charismatic um, Christian, um, which is really all the explanation needed there. Um, and of course, an Arminian. And they were debating because uh, James White is a Reformed Baptist um, on the subject of predestination, right? And of course, they were very friendly with each other. And I don't say, of course, in the sense of that they're all friendly, but of course, in the, you know, I'm trying to make the comparison here. Um, that was something I thought was very cool. Something that we should definitely do more often as believers, especially with issues that aren't definitional. I hope that the vast majority of people recognize that in more places than one, I can name just off the bat, uh, Philip with the Ethiopian, but the uh, context for what it takes to be saved is to repent, take up your cross, be baptized and follow Jesus. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with oneness versus Trinitarianism. It doesn't have anything to do with predestination and Arminianism. Um, those are all doctrinal disputes that we can sit here and have a conversation about and still consider people to be believers or not believers. Um, so I wouldn't claim that these sorts of doctrinal disputes are, um, are definitional. However, I would definitely claim that a lot, and I won't say all, but a lot, in fact, probably the vast majority of denominations have actually made that. I'll give as a perfect example, the Seventh-day Adventist, um, I actually kind of have some sympathy for the Seventh-day Adventist because I don't understand how somebody could claim I'm going to tell you not to wear tattoos or to get tattoos right, but then I'm not going to, um, which is only mentioned one time in all of Scripture, and it's only Leviticus, but on the flip side, don't follow on Saturday because that's somehow cultic and bringing back the law. That does not make any sense, right? However, the Seventh-day Adventists aren't just saying we're going to sit here and worship on Sunday, or Saturday rather, they're saying if you don't worship on Saturday, you somehow have a mark of the beast, right? And that and it creates a whole separate issue. Whether or not there was actually a problem with Sabbatarian worship versus uh, Sunday worship has now been completely thrown out the window for this, I'm going to stake my claim here. And then, and it's actually kind of funny because, you know, you end up going into the future and all of these denominations who stake their claim, which is the whole reason I actually asked about conservative denominations. Um, they all end up actually going liberal very quickly. And I believe it's because when you set yourself up with a big institutional hierarchy, um, which you said that the Mennonites don't, I don't, I'm not particularly familiar with the Mennonites other than the fact that the Amish are an offshoot with the, with the Mennonites. So I won't really comment on that. Uh, but um, I'll take your word for it because I haven't seen any reason not to so far. Um, with that said, when you get these big denominations, right, and then you get a openly secular culture and these people want to get more people into their church and you know the world is getting farther and farther away from christianity i think the pew research poll i read last might not have been pew it might have been gallup but nonetheless it stated that uh, as of 2016 38 percent of the population of america had become irreligious which is huge numbers comparatively to where we were just a decade ago. it's way worse in canada Okay, in Canada, two-thirds of the population went to church in 1946, one year after the war. In, in 2015, uh, 10, less than 10% of the population went to church, and in British Columbia, where I live, it's less than 5% go to church on a weekly basis. Right, so then you know exactly what I'm talking about then. So the, the province of Quebec, uh, there are less than one-half of 1% 1 of the population that are evangelical Christians, and uh, some evangelicals call it the greatest unreached people group in North America. But again, getting back to the question, I haven't heard one thing that would say why I need to be a follower of William Branham. 
You say it's a scriptural interpretation. I look at it and I go, wow, he's got some stuff that's just right off the charts bad, which we didn't really get into. But I wouldn't, I haven't, I, there's no, and be, because I, I don't find him as credible, um, and we didn't even get into places where he actually faked uh, the discernment. I can show you where he said he spoke in tongues, and it's clear that he faked it. Uh, we've got an article posted on, on our um, on the on the podcast. He just faked it, and so I I have I've come to the conclusion after years and years of research that William Branham, his prophecies he had a number of prophecies that failed. Deuteronomy 18 says I don't believe him. He was not credible. Number of times relied repeatedly over the pulpit, and his scriptural teaching. And we can show you where thus saith the Lord failed. So William Branham's culturally irrelevant. He, he liked the Ku Klux Klan, and he's, you know, he didn't believe in interracial marriage, which I can't find anything in Scripture for. And there are ministers in in, in the message like Donnie Reagan who got in big trouble about repeating William Branham's. Uh, teaching and saying they believed it, and and in fact, Donnie Reagan was called the most racist pastor in America for his basically repeating what what William Branham said. This stuff just doesn't work anymore. And I look at Christians around me who I and I've looked a lot. Now I appreciate it. one of the fun things, the coolest thing about my job, is all the wonderful people I get to meet, and I meet some amazing Christians and have met some amazing Christians and continue to do that. People who are changing the world for the gospel. And honestly, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to tell all our listeners, follow Jesus. Don't follow William Branham. Find a really good church. Now, my wife and I looked the better part of a year before we found one. And uh, we went to that church, which is the Mennonite Brethren Church, for four years. Uh, about two years ago, we moved to another church and have been attending that church. And it's another wonderful church. Uh, there are churches I went to with really nice people, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. They're not churches I. I would. Uh, uh, I would have attended out of choice for a variety of reasons. Um, not that the people weren't good people. Not that they didn't preach decent things, but they weren't. I want a church where people are really on fire for the gospel. They actually live what they believe, and for me, that's what counts. And I said I spend my time with an organization whose mission is to help people know Jesus and experience his power to change the world. That's what we do on a regular basis. We uh, are interacting with people in this culture on a regular basis, every day, trying to make disciples, as we're told and commanded by Jesus, to try to fulfill the Great Commission, both in Canada and around the world, Canada being where I live. And I don't, like the message is a hindrance. The message would mess me up. The message would, listening to William Branham, would just confuse the message of Jesus Christ because he mixed the law and he mixed law and grace. And that's not what I, uh, what we're told to do from what Paul said. So I, I don't want to live in a life where I got to take bits of the Old Testament that William Branham says I should and that, you know, for example, if I'm a minister, I can't, I, I'm not allowed to marry someone who's not a virgin, right? I mean, where do you get that from other than he said, that, well, that's the Levite, so, so you got to, and if you, if you don't marry a virgin, you can't be a, a, a minister. Like, like, where's that from in the, in the Bible, uh, uh, in the New Testament? It's from the Old Testament, right? And so, so there are people in the message who were really good people, but because of their background, they couldn't 
become a minister according to the message rules, William Branham's rules. Well, they're not Bible rules. They're not New Testament rules. In the New Testament, we're governed by love, the law of Christ to the law of love, and that's how we want to live our lives. Well, and I hope you understand that I do definitely, well, actually, I think, I think you, were about to, you were about to say we should wrap this up, weren't you? Yeah, so I'm going to give you just a, a, a closing statement. Um, I just kind of summarized where I'm coming from. Why don't you give a closing statement, and then we'll wrap this up because we've, we've gone on a long time, which I figured we probably would. Well, and by the way, let me just state for the record, um, I know that to some people who may be listening here, that may have sounded like it got pretty heated. That being said, it was not heated in any sort of way other than intellectual, at least from my end. Same here. Same here. And I appreciate, I still do, I want to say I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Most ministers won't even talk to me, don't want to meet with me uh, because I've left the message. Uh, I, I have had one uh, message minister who went out for breakfast with me and told me that he was afraid to do so. And when I asked him, I said, why, why are you afraid? He said, well, I know you can tie me in knots. I said, well, shouldn't that tell you something? But uh, for me, I do appreciate, Jay, you having the courage to come on. And I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm really, I'm not interested in, in blowing people up, in winning an argument. I'm just interested in having some of these questions answered that nobody's ever answered. Like, these visions failed. Like, what do you say about that? And I have yet to get a good answer. You know that William Brandon was incredible. I've yet to get a good answer because most people actually haven't looked at these issues in detail. That's unfortunate, but that's been my experience. So uh, if this gets you to dig into some of these uh, things a little bit more, uh, that would be great. And um, I'm looking forward to you phoning me, sending me an email and saying, Rod, I've, I've, you're right, I've come out of the message and, and I just want to follow Jesus now. <laughs> Well, of course, we will see. I will say um, I do like to make a distinction that my faith does not rise or fall with William Branham, but with Jesus, right? Nor would it rise or fall with anybody who claimed to be a prophet. And I would also quickly point out to any message believers who are listening to this and to any people who are not message believers listening to this either way, right? As long as we follow Jesus, he will lead us in the right direction. Whether that takes five years or 40 years, I think it will definitely happen, Um now, another thing I would say, too, as I, um, I do appreciate you having me on here on the show today. I know, obviously, you probably could have just uh, kept this to a conversation on Facebook that just went back and forth if you wanted to, but instead decided to actually have us with a dialogue. And I do appreciate that because I have had numerous instances where I get in a dialogue with somebody on Facebook and then it just ends up getting derailed somehow because, I mean, you know how Facebook conversations end up going. Somebody comments and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, so I do greatly appreciate that. Um, if ever wanted, again, you, you know, you could definitely have uh, an interview here with me on my show or I could come back on this show. Either or, I very much appreciate the dialogue and I think it's important dialogue because truthfully, there is something at play here that is much stronger than just was William Branham a prophet? Because if indeed he was, then that means that we had a message specifically given from God. And if indeed he wasn't, then that means that there are people who are in danger of being led down the wrong path. So I appreciate the opportunity to have the dialogue here and I uh, hope that we might be able to do it again sometime. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that, Jay. And, I, and I, just to close, I would say that I do believe that there are people in the message who are Christians 
But I think, and what I've come to realize, is that based on the research that we've done and the result of cognitive dissonance, a lot of people who are in the message have now become more and more cultic. And those people who are Christians in the message are going, hold it, there's something wrong going on here. They're starting to ask questions. And my experience has been when people start to ask questions in the message, it leads them out, mainly because they find that what had been told to them was not true. And so I am a firm believer, God is not afraid of questions. God is not afraid of your saying, is this true or not? He's not afraid of that. And a sincere heart that wants to ask some questions and find out what the truth is, God's gonna look at that and say, wow, that's my son or daughter. And they're just, they just want the truth. And I think, uh, as Paul said of the Bereans, uh, or as Luke said, rather, of the Bereans, they were more noble than any of the other Jews, but they actually dug in and looked to find out whether what Paul was saying was true. And I would advise everyone here, just in closing, to say, look at your Bible, dig in. If you're in the message, find out if what William Branham said was true. Don't take my word for it. Look at the stuff we've got on our website. I'll put some links on there on the podcast page for people. Find out, don't believe it because we've said it. Find out if it actually is true or not. Do your own research. That's what we did. We just made it a little bit easier for people. And Jay, again, thank you very much for taking this time on a Saturday to come and talk to us. Once again, thank you very much. And I hope everyone has uh, enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Well, certainly. And thank you for having me. That brings the interview with Jay Cox to a close and also brings the first season of Off the Shelf to a conclusion. If you are interested in our continuing with the Off the Shelf podcast in the future, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life and leave a comment. There's a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you're welcome to send an email to me at rod, R-O-D, at offtheshelf.life. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with someone. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.